Is it time to separate the pretenders and contenders in the NFL? Yesterday may have been an indication as such, as I'll tell you who are the makers and who are the fakers. Plus, an epic Super Bowl rematch takes place in KC tonight where the Eagles and Chiefs will get reacquainted. Washington leapfrogs over Florida State as the Seminoles suffer a huge hit at quarterback while the rest of the top 10 stays the same. Can Florida State still sneak into the college football playoff? Pitcher Aaron Nola stays in Philadelphia, but for how much and is he really worth it? And I'll take a peek to see what's happening on the ice and hardwood with the NHL and NBA. Thanksgiving week has arrived and I have plenty of nuggets to share over the next hour. It's all coming up, but first, this message. Jay Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the Jay Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. It's time to get all the courses prepped, seasoned, the oven and stove turned on, and break out all the fine silverware in China. No, I'm not talking about Thanksgiving dinner. I'm talking about all that shaking in pro sports, as I'll dish out plenty to ensure your appetite has been satiated, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And yes, the week has come. I'm sure everybody's rejoicing a little bit, knowing that it's a short work week. Everybody looking toward a Thanksgiving weekend, whether you're traveling or staying at home. I'll say this right off the bat. I hope it's a happy, healthy, and safe one. So if you are... Whether by train, car, plane, boat, or even if you just happen to be walking across the street, for yours truly to wish a happy and healthy one to everyone out there, that's what I hope for. So when we reconnect next Monday, that's right, I'm not going to be on the air Thursday, it is a holiday, and yes, it does kind of burn me to know that we can't get into the Thanksgiving Day games or even discuss what's going to happen there this coming weekend. I'll do a little bit of that at the end of the NFL segment. But at this very moment, it's just going to be this week, and then we'll pick it up next week. We'll recap everything that happened over the course of the NFL weekend, everything else that's happening in sports. You know I got you covered as your one-stop shopping for all sports, not just the NFL, not just the NBA, NHL, even golf, tennis, boxing, MMA. One more time, 
this is the spot to come to, and I'm glad that you stopped by to carve out a few precious minutes out of your day to listen to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. So let's get right to it. NFL is going to be front and center, as we know. And my theme for today, when I looked at the schedule and I saw how it all unfolded yesterday, and even going back to Thursday night, because we have to include the Bengals in this mix when it comes to the contenders and pretenders. And even though you have a huge game tonight, and I'll talk about that as well with the Eagles and Chiefs, a Super Bowl rematch of last year. And I'll just say this, those two teams are safe. And they are no-brainers to have both Kansas City and Philadelphia as contenders when it comes to teams that could go and win a Super Bowl this coming February out in Glendale, Arizona. I believe that's where the Super Bowl is being played. So those two teams are safe. But when I see a few other teams as far as pretenders go, and I'll start there, it was a shock to a certain extent, and not much of a shock in another sense when it comes to a couple of these teams that I'm looking at as far as teams that could not only go deep into January and the middle of February, but could really make some hay and maybe be those teams that could compete for a Super Bowl. But the teams that aren't going to compete, as you saw yesterday, number one is Seattle. Now, they lost to the Rams, if you remember, week one in their building. And although they haven't played well as of late, and maybe they overlooked the Rams knowing that they have a date with the San Francisco 49ers on Thanksgiving evening, the late game, the 8-15 game, which I believe is on NBC. And if they did that, shame on Pete Carroll, shame on Geno Smith, and shame on the Seattle Seahawks overall. Because for them to go down the West Coast to put up a stinker the way they did yesterday, and for the Rams to come out victorious and win 17-16 to see if they could at least exact some revenge and get themselves ready, even if they eked out a win. Even if it was as ugly, and I didn't watch, of course, but even if it was an ugly game, even if it was one that Geno Smith played horribly or the defense were unable to make a stop, and as it was, it was 17-16, so it wasn't as if it was a barn burner or a game that certainly was tooth and nail, although you did get to the end, and having the... Seahawks miss a game-winning field goal there by Jason Myers. That certainly stung, and I'm sure that the potatoes all gratin and the Sauvignon Blanc did not go well in the Pacific Northwest or even the flight home from L.A. to Seattle for Coach Pete Carroll and company. But when you come up empty, 0-2 against a Ram team that we all know they're going to be out to sea and nowhere near contention this year, That is just a bad loss, and we could talk about it being a road game and division games on the road, as I talked about time after time after time. Always tricky, always tough, no matter what the records are. But I don't want to hear from the Seahawks again. And they could beat the Niners come Thursday night, and it could be all gravy there in Seattle. But I'm not sold. I'm not a believer. And yes, just about a month ago, I was talking about them, a team like them making the turn to see whether or not that they're going to be in play here as far as the long game goes when it comes to the NFL postseason and maybe even a shot at the Super Bowl. Now, did I think the Seahawks were going to have a shot? No. But remember, when the Niners had lost three in a row and at least for a few days, the Seattle Seahawks were in first place, I thought to myself, hey, maybe with a few more wins and with two games against the Niners forthcoming, who knows? Maybe they could be that surprise team that I can't see them winning a division. But if they do split, and chances are in a week NFC they're going to make the tournament, who knows? But as 
of today and what I saw yesterday, I think Seattle is a big-time pretender and far from a contender. And another team I have to throw in the mix, and I get it that this is throwing dirt and really, it's pretty much taking candy away from a baby, are the Bengals. When Joe Burrow goes down there right before halftime after the Bengals get the go-ahead score to make it 10-7, and he has to leave the game with a bad wrist that later we find out that it's going to need surgery and he's done for the year. So Jake Browning, who was your quarterback for the remainder of that game, and you knew that the Bengals were not going to have a shot to win the game. And as it is right this very moment, with a huge game coming up against the Steelers, and I'll get to them later on, this is pretty much do or die. They're already 0-3 in the division. As a matter of fact, they're 0-4 because they got swept by the... No, excuse me, I got it right. 0-3 in the division because they haven't played Pittsburgh yet. They lost to Cleveland in Week 2. They've lost twice to the Ravens. And with the Steelers forthcoming, knowing that tiebreakers in the division are huge, of course, they don't have that against the Ravens. But let's say if it happens to fall where they are even in the win-loss column against Pittsburgh or even Cleveland for that matter, they're going to not be able to make the postseason because they're going to have a poor division record. And if they go 0-4 with a loss this coming Sunday, then chances are they may not make the playoffs altogether. But with that being said, without the quarterback there, and they could still have the skill position players there, as we know, the Joe Mixons of the world, Jamar Chases, T. Higgins, who's had a down year. But I think the Bengals, they're going to be pretenders. And it's not because of their own doing. It's because once you lose your quarterback, that's it. And that goes for any team, even the Vikings for that matter. And I'm not going to put them in the contender mix or as a pretender because we thought that Josh Dobbs, although he has played well as a member of the Vikings, but even with them starting off one and four and them going five in a row to the point where they lost last night against Denver. And that was a tough loss by the Vikings against the Broncos in a weird Sunday night matchup, which wasn't flexed. But they were entertained, and the Vikings, again, I'm not going to put them in a contender or even a pretender scenario because I thought that even with Cousins out and even with the stretch of games that they won to get themselves in the NFC North mix, but with another team in that division, which I'll talk about in a minute, now having a two-game lead in the division, and they haven't played one another yet, the Lions and Vikings, that is, but I think Minnesota, after that tough loss last night, I would think that there's no way that they can still make the playoffs, but as far as them going deep, uh uh-uh, that's not a team that I'm going to look at as a contender. Now, as far as a contender goes, the Lions showed me something yesterday because they were down 26-14 with less than five minutes to go in the game, and I get it that sometimes teams like the Lions who are looking to take that extra step, they're looking to make that leap to be a part not only of the top few teams in the NFC, but throughout the entire league overall. And we haven't seen them lose a bad game against a bad team. Now, of course, they went on the road and got spanked in Baltimore, but the Ravens obviously are a very good team. And they also lost early in the year, ironically, to a Seattle Seahawks team, which they had to come from behind late in the game before losing in overtime. So you could chalk that up to a game Seahawks team. But yesterday would have been inexcusable for the Bears to go in there on the road, as bad as they've been, to beat the Lions and put them at 7-3 and three, and maybe even question a little bit whether or not the Lions are going to be a team to be reckoned with come January and possibly February. But as it was, they came from behind and 
with the heroics of Jared Goff, who had a poor game, Goff was, if you look at his stat line, certainly wasn't Goff-like with the way he's performed here over the last couple of years in a Lion uniform. But for whatever it's worth, his bad game was erased by those final couple of minutes where he was able to pull his team out of the fire. He threw three interceptions in the game, but it didn't matter because what they did at the end, and thankfully for them, even though they were able to turn it around there, Jamison William getting that 32-yard touchdown pass, which was huge after the field goal. Like I said, four minutes and 15 seconds to go in the game, down by 12, and then David Montgomery, who got the touchdown there to put them ahead at 28-26, and then they got the two-point conversion there to put a little cherry on top, where Justin Fields, that was just a crazy play there, fumbled, and next thing you know, was kicked out of bounds. And the Lions were able to win 31-26. So that was just an enormous win and a big win for them because it does give them a little bit of breathing room in the NFC North. Not that they needed it, but still with the Vikings losing later on that evening and then for them winning yesterday, I feel that the Lions are a contender here in the NFL. And could you say the same for the Ravens? I'm going to say that, but they did suffer a big loss with the tight end Mark Andrews. That is Lamar Jackson's security blanket. Andrews has been a big part of that offense for the time that Lamar Jackson has been there. And even though with the Bengals out and what you saw there on Thursday night, winning 34-20, now again, without having Burrow in the game, did not make the game any more exciting or thrilling or even juicy for that matter. But you have to put the Ravens in there as a team that I think is going to be there, maybe not at the end, in the Super Bowl, but certainly can contend when it comes to the Lombardi Trophy when it's all said and done. And then when I look at a couple of other teams as far as pretenders, because I have to see this in a big spot. I have to see this on the road in particular. Now, we saw there yesterday, Dallas going to Carolina. Again, they're the worst team in the sport, so you can't really judge it on that. But are the Cowboys a contender or a pretender? I'm going to have to say at this very moment, they're right on the cusp. They're on the border Almost like the U.S. and Canada border if you're going to Niagara Falls. Here if you're in the Northeast. The Cowboys are that close because they have the talent. But because we haven't seen them win a big road game, especially against a big opponent, I don't know if I could 100% bonafide put that in Sharpie ink as them being a contender. And the same for the Miami Dolphins, who had to struggle to beat the upstart Raiders with the new coach there, Antonio Pierce. But they won the game. You got to give it up. It doesn't matter how they won it. No such thing as style points. But the home cooking there for the Dolphins, they're able to beat a Raider team who was beneath them. But again, we need to see the Dolphins beat a, not only just a good opponent, but an opponent that could be in their way somewhere down the road. Whether that means Buffalo, and in this case, they may not face Buffalo in the postseason. If they do, it's going to probably be down in Miami. But let's say if they have to go to Kansas City, as we saw them in Frankfurt, what was it, a week or so ago, where they lost there. And even though they made it competitive and Tua had the fumble, understood. But the Dolphins really need to show and prove to me, although on that border, whether or not that they're a contender or a pretender. But they're with the Cowboys in that same mold as far as just being that close. They have the talent, they have the capability, but if they have to do it in an AFC Championship game on the road, same for the Cowboys in an NFC Championship. They have to show and prove to me, and I have to believe it when I see it. 
And one more team that you have to throw in there as far as a contender goes, it has to be the Niners. And you would think that after the bye and them losing three straight games, and we saw what they did to Jacksonville last week, and then yesterday, all right, it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Nobody's going to go crazy about them. But Brock Purdy, who pitched a perfect game as a quarterback, was just spectacular from start to finish, throwing up 333 yards. The Niners were certainly just up and down the field. And not that I watched this game closely either, but when you look at the final stat line and what you saw there from the quarterback was nothing short of remarkable. And you have to wonder whether or not Purdy has shaken off those three games against Cleveland, against Minnesota, and then that final game that they lost during that stretch where a lot of people thought maybe the Niners are a team that, yes, we could look at as a contender, but for whatever the reason, and every team's going to have those stretches where you're going to lose games, but when they, again, lost to the Browns, Vikings, and then the Bengals manhandled them before the bye, maybe you kind of question whether or not Purdy was coming back down to earth. He wasn't going to be the same guy that we saw throughout the first, whatever it was, 12 or 13 starts of his NFL career. And I understand an inferior opponent, but then look what happened last week in Jacksonville. So you would think that the Niners and Brock Purdy are back. And even with that resounding win there yesterday, although it was close there at the half, I get it, but they turned it on the Jets and were able to put the Buccaneers in the dust. And you'd have to throw the Niners there as far as a contending team. And those are the contenders I think they're in the NFL. There's actually... Three different levels here when we're talking about everything that I've discussed here over the last, whatever it may be, 15, 20 minutes or so. Your contenders are Philly, Casey, San Francisco. Yes, I'm throwing in the Detroit Lions and the Baltimore Ravens. To me, those are the teams that I think are the contenders for the Super Bowl when it's all said and done. And you have those teams that are right on the cusp, as I mentioned, Miami and Dallas. Those are the only two teams. And everybody else, in my eyes, are pretenders. And that includes the Cleveland Browns. Yes, it does. I don't want to hear that the game yesterday is going to make anybody believe, outside of the citizens of Northeast Ohio, that the Browns, granted they have a very good, and you could say they have a great defense. But are they the 2,000 Ravens? Are they the 85 Bears? I understand it remains to be seen. And even if they get just average quarterback play from Dorian Thompson Robinson, where that's what they got yesterday. And he made big plays when it mattered on that final drive there where they kicked the game-winning field goal to make it 13-10. And the steal of defense, I mean, what could you say? Could they make a stop there against a guy that has pretty much, what, a game and a half worth of NFL experience? They were unable to do that. But the Browns, How I look at it, yes, defense aside, they're not going to contend for a Super Bowl. If Watson was there, I'd give you a maybe because we saw them win a big road game the week before in Baltimore, something that the Cowboys or Dolphins haven't done this year. So I probably would have given them the lower rung of the contender bracket, but I can't do that even with this quarterback because if this defense is going to play to the likes of those aforementioned defenses of the past, then I could put them in the contender category. But right now, I cannot. And I will not. And it's not because I have sour grapes toward the Browns. It's not because the Steeler offense, which is from hunger, as we saw again yesterday, even though Jalen Warren ripped that 74-yard run and, again, hung around to the point where it looked like they were going to 
go ahead and maybe even on that final drive, and I don't know what Matt Canada was doing, throwing three passes, knowing that they were able to run the ball with a little bit of efficiency. They rushed for what? Almost 180 yards on the ground as a team. And he decided to throw three pass plays, and then they had to punt, and that's when Robinson took over and the Browns were able to kick the game-winning field goal and that was your game in a nutshell to where you had Najee Harris, the running back of the Steelers, despondent in his post-game saying that stuff's got to change. He knows that the team is good. He knows that the team is capable of playing better and in particular the offense, but nothing's going on. And you want to say that he's throwing his offensive coordinator overboard? You could say that, but guess what? I could probably name a million other Steeler fans, including yours truly, with my hand raised high in the air, that wants Canada out as well. And is it all on Matt Canada? It is not, because we know the Steeler offensive line is not good. Slowly but surely, they're starting to piece it together and play a lot more cohesive. But as we all know, this offense is designed similar to the way the final couple of years with Ben Roethlisberger, where they want to get the ball out of Pickett's hands quickly, They don't want him to drop back and kind of react and make plays out of the pocket. He's not that type of quarterback. And the funny thing is that Roethlisberger was more of that type of quarterback, not to say that he had speed or that he was going to win games with his legs, but we knew that he had some mobility even for a guy at his size. And Pickett does not have the size of Roethlisberger. And Pickett certainly doesn't have, he does have mobility, but for whatever the reason doesn't have the same type of talent that Roethlisberger has in the sense where he's going to roll out and try to throw on the run or try to throw deep or stretch the field and although he has guys that could do that whether your name is George Pickens or Deontay Johnson but for whatever the reason the Steeler offense maybe they don't trust Kenny Pickett they have to take off the training wheels and let him make mistakes and that's one of the reasons why the Steelers have been very good this year and even though they've been outgained again But they haven't turned the ball over as much. And that's why they've been winning these games the way they have. And just like I thought yesterday, when they had the ball there late in the game, and I'm thinking to myself, watch them go down the field. They'll get a few first downs. They'll kick a field goal and maybe give the ball back to Cleveland and then maybe make a stop. And they're going to win another inexplicable, how do they do it, 13-10 game. And smoke and mirrors, whatever it may be, Scott's tape and bubblegum, here go the Steelers again. But... That was not the case yesterday, and that is pretty much in a nutshell, and I feel you, Najee Harris. This team has a huge game this week against Cincinnati, which we'll talk about later, and a tough loss because now that the Browns are ahead of them in the division, and it's going to be an uphill battle for this team, knowing that they have to go to Cincinnati, at the end of the year go to Baltimore, and it's not going to be an easy game, but they do have to fly out to Seattle, so it's going to be... Tough sledding for the Steelers team, and if they would have got that game yesterday, I would have felt a lot better about their chances going into Cincinnati this week without the quarterback, and even if they did lose in Cincinnati, you'd feel, all right, well, we beat Cleveland, we would have swept them in the regular season, and don't have to worry about them when it comes to tiebreakers. Well, obviously, that's out the window, and that's what's going to happen there as far as the Steelers, and please, they are far from a contender, despite the fact I'm sure there are a lot of Steelers fans that thought maybe they could be considering their record going into yesterday's game. But the Browns, to me, they're also a pretender. I'm putting Jacksonville in that mix, too. I got to see them win a big road game, despite the fact that they were competitive in the divisional playoff against the Chiefs last year. But I'm not a big believer in Jacksonville. Could they be a team to contend? Maybe, but I don't trust them 100%. I certainly am not going to look at anybody else in the NFC, especially in the South. Ha ha, please, no way. And that is it. So your 
Contenders, as I mentioned, you know who the teams are and the teams that are on the cusp. And your pretenders are the Browns. I'm going to throw Buffalo in there as well. I didn't talk about them beating the Jets the way they did. And I know that Deion Dawkins, the lineman, had things to say about the Jet players, saying how they were disrespectful, how they had no class. And I don't know what happened there. I didn't see any video about it. I did read about it. And even Sauce Gardner came out and said, hey, I saw a scuffle, but I don't know how it started. I don't know how it happened, what transpired, etc. And I understand that the Jet season right now is sinking fast and they have a game this coming Friday. That's right, Black Friday, people. Don't forget, 3 o'clock, Amazon Prime, where the Dolphins will come north to play the Jets out at MetLife. But with Zach Wilson being benched and the coach Robert Sala staying mum as to who's going to be the quarterback this coming Friday, that is just a mess out in Jetville. And that was just like the Steelers. That was a big game for the Jets too if they would have won that game because they would have swept the Bills this year. They would have had an opportunity to at least when it comes to tiebreakers that if they happen to have the same record, they didn't have to worry about Buffalo standing in their way. But obviously that's not going to be the case as I mentioned. The Jet season is sinking fast. And it could go down even faster with a loss this coming Friday. So they don't have much of a turnaround to get themselves together together as to who's going to be the quarterback. As to who's going to... Who knows? Zach Wilson, I think his days of, as a Jet are done. He may play a few more times this year. Who knows if Aaron Rodgers... I doubt it that he's going to come back if the Jets have a deeper losing record. If they're what? 5-8 and eight is Rodgers. If healthy, he's going to come back and play. I don't think so. So you have Buffalo, who I think is, they have the potential to be a contender, but they've just been too erratic. They stand in their own way from doing that. So I'm not going to pick them as a team that is going to be a contender. And I understand that may be ballsy. And who knows if that's going to be, I'm not going to say viral. I'm not going to go crazy there. But if the aggregate looks at this and says, wait a minute, Jay Reels thinks that the Buffalo Bills are in the pretender category. Well, I'm going to say that because chances are they're not going to win a division. They're going to have to go on the road. Are they capable of getting to a Super Bowl by winning three road games? They are, but it's going to be daunting. And as erratic as they've been throughout the whole year, I can't see the ship all of a sudden being rightened where they're going to just lay out their own destiny to the point where they're going to steamroll to Arizona and play in Super Bowl 58. So I'm going to throw them in the mix. I'm also going to throw the Texans, although they've been well, but I can't see a rookie quarterback taking them to heights in his first year under C.J. Stroud and the coach, D'Amico Ryans. And that's what you have. Those are your pretenders and contenders as a right to second, as I think we could get a good feel as to who's going to make it to the Super Bowl. You're going to have those five teams and with those two or three teams laying in the weeds, and then there's everybody else. And am I going to get into some of these other games that took place yesterday when it comes to the Giants? Hey, give it up for Tommy DeVito. He had the game of his life. Who knows, maybe he could stick around if he plays well enough to be a backup in this league because we saw those first couple of games, it looked like he didn't even even belong. And for the Commanders, that was pretty much the final nail in Ron Rivera's coffin. I kind of hate to use that analogy, but when you get swept by the Giants twice, and the Giants, who, other than the one win that they got earlier this year, and I can't even remember who they beat. That's how bad the Giants have been, as we all know. But the Commanders, for them to get swept by the Giants this year, and I got to think, who did the Giants beat early this year? Well, they lost to the Cowboys week one. Oh, it was the Cardinals. And they should have lost that game because I believe they were down, what, 28-7, and they had that miraculous comeback. So look at that. 
they could actually would have been oh in whatever their record would have been but for the commanders thanks to them and I'm sure the Giants wish they could play them each and every week so as I mentioned that's going to be it for Ron Rivera just based on those two losses right there but am I really going to unpack that game so I'm not even going to go near that I only brought up Seattle and the Rams because to me they're not a contender but that's a game that I certainly would have stayed away from when I looked at the schedule overall and some of the other matchups that you have the Chargers please you think I'm going to put them in the contender category even with the coach and we know that the quarterback has played well and give it up for what Jordan Love did yesterday in Lambeau but that coach is going to be out in the rail despite the fact of what you may read or hear about as far as the headlines go where he's going to be safe there is no way I don't care how cheap the Spanos family is that's the owners of the Chargers they got to get rid of this guy quick fast in a hurry he is not the answer for the Chargers there Jacksonville did beat Tennessee we know Tennessee is a dead team walking in Jacksonville let's see if they can continue to win and have a huge game against the Texans forthcoming which we'll get into a little bit later the Jets Buffalo 29-6 or 32-6 excuse me what else is there to discuss that's what you have for an NFL week 11 and then you have a matchup tonight which I understand they're going to look at it as a Super Bowl rematch and it is and maybe some revenge for the Eagles but we know the ultimate revenge is if they were to play again in the middle of February is that going to happen who knows we cannot predict that far and I don't care how good these teams are whether that means the Eagles currently constituted at what 8-1 and one, and look like they're going to be by far the one seed in the NFC and then the Kansas City Chiefs who if they win the night they will stay ahead of the Baltimore Ravens for the best record in the AFC obviously both of those teams are looking at one seeds where you would have to go through both of those cities to get to a Super Bowl which you saw there last year because those were the top two seeds in the AFC and NFC respectively but finally we get a very good Monday night game and I know we've gotten good Monday night games in the past don't get me wrong but for this one I could see the Eagles for everything that's been said about them this year how they haven't been as dominant that they've had flashes that they're nowhere near the team that they were last year well it's not as if they've fallen off that much because they are 8-1 and And I think they're going to go in this game with a chip on their shoulder knowing what happened last year and maybe the ref screwed them of that final play that hold on Juju Smith-Schuster which set up the game-winning field goal. But I see the Eagles playing a tough physical game which is what they want to do. I'm sure they're going to want to run the ball down the Chiefs' throats, do a lot of play action with Jalen Hurts and of course the big-time receiver A.J. Brown. And I can see the Eagles being victorious here. It's going to be a tough game no doubt when you're in that environment of Arrowhead and that fan base and how that building gets rocking at the drop of a hat and of course I can see the Chiefs win but something tells me Philly they're going to look at this game and maybe they've circled this game going back to training camp or even before once the schedule came out knowing that all right Chiefs are on the schedule we're looking forward to this game we want to show the world that not only do we belong but we also want to show and prove to everybody that we're the team to beat especially in 2023 when it comes to being a contender as I've mentioned here throughout this whole segment so I think the Eagles I think they're going to win a physical game because the Chiefs we know about their receivers if it's not Travis Kelsey it's a bunch of ragamuffins there are no Tyreek Hills there 
Miko Hardman is not the same guy that we once saw, and even though they brought him back in the trade with the Jets, but again, he's not a big-time factor. You could talk about the Isaiah Pacheco's of the world. You could talk about the rookie that they had there, who's actually played pretty well, but he is not a guy that a lot of people, or especially the defensive coordinator, is going to be shaking in the boots and be like, oh, wait, we got to watch after this guy because there's no way that we can not win this game if we don't have this guy circled on our play chart. And that guy's Rasheed Rice, who's actually been pretty good here. So for the Eagles, let's see what happens. It should be a great game. Buck and Aikman there tonight on ABC ESPN. And as far as a week number 12 in the NFL, let's quickly go through that schedule. Now you have the three games on Thanksgiving, as we know. Not great games overall. I understand Seattle-San Francisco. That would have been better if Seattle would have won because at least there would have been a game behind in the standings at that time. And knowing that they haven't played one another, this is their first matchup this year. They would have had a chance to come even and, of course, have the early tiebreaker. But as a matter of fact, let me see if I read that correctly. No, yours truly, my eyes are deceiving me because I have the laptop, which is a little bit further than it should with the way I have my setup here. The Niners have a one-game lead, my apologies, people, in the NFC West. So that is a game with a lot of purpose and a lot of meaning. I thought the Niners had a two-game lead. One more time, my bad. But that is going to be a huge game and a lot of people are going to look forward to. So at least you have that as the nightcap after you polish off the pumpkin pie. And that game is in Seattle. So at least they have the home cooking. If the game is in San Francisco, I'd say, oh, you can forget about it. You would think that the Niners would romp. Not to say they can't romp up in Seattle, but at least the 12th man, maybe they'll represent after a big serving of turkey stuffing and some cranberry sauce. So we'll have to wait and see. But that is the marquee matchup of the day because Washington at Dallas before that and Green Bay at Detroit. Now, funny enough, this is the first time that Detroit goes in flying because whenever you thought of a Green Bay at Detroit Thanksgiving Day game, it's usually the other way around. It's usually Green Bay going in at 8-2 and two, and Detroit is usually the team that's under 500 that is just playing out the string. But at least the Lion fan has something to look forward to and 12.30 there at Ford Field, you're going to have Jordan Love coming off a big game, 322 yards. Let's see if he could duplicate that and keep his team in the game. Where the Lions, let's see if they could pad their record to 9-2 and two, as they'll have a mini buy after that. And then Washington at Dallas, we know the Commanders... Nothing else to say. I understand they play competitive against the Cowboys, especially on Thanksgiving over the years, but can we see a good effort considering the short work week? Dallas, I get it. They had to go to Carolina. Maybe the road game a little bit weary as they have the home slice of life where they have the commanders coming into their building on Thursday, but I would think Dallas is going to prevail and... What else is new there as the Cowboys will probably continue their winning ways. Although they have lost games over the years, come to think of it. Didn't they lose to the Raiders last year on Thanksgiving in a barn burner? Before the Thanksgiving day slate, nothing much to really write home other than the nightcap there on NBC at 8.15 or 8.20, whatever the start time is. And then you have the Black Friday game, Miami and the Jets. This is going to be ongoing from now until the end of time, people. This is just the way of the world with the NFL. And as I've said time after time after time, enough. I get it that football content is king. I get it that the NFL is bulletproof. We've talked about it ad nauseum and ad infinitum. But because the schedule gets worn thin, 
And yes, at the beginning of the year, this would have been an appealing game if Aaron Rodgers was healthy and upright all year. But obviously, that's not the case. You don't even know who the quarterback is going to be as of right this moment. And I'm sure it may not even be Zach Wilson. Because he continues to spiral out of control when it comes to his play. And sadly, when you're going to be ready to, whether you're cyber shopping or if you're going out to the malls to do the early Christmas shopping to get any Black Friday sales, I'm sure in this day and age, everybody's doing it Thanksgiving evening. But I'm sure America does not want to see Tim Boyle on the center because you're looking at a 33-3 type of game where the Dolphins, where people could say, oh, they need to win a game on the road, maybe in the cold, but we all know that the Jets right now are not a big opponent. So that game is going to be a tough watch if you ask me. And then as far as the games on the weekend, the highlight game on Sunday, to me, looks like it's Buffalo-Philadelphia. And that's in your 425 window. And if Buffalo wants to show me something that they belong in that contender category, let me see them win in Philly. Because they have a tough stretch of games here where they still have to have Dallas come into their building. I believe they have to go to Kansas City. And here's your first stop here to go to Philadelphia. And let's see how the Eagles play tonight. Because let's say if they lose a close game or somehow, some way get blown out, then you know they're going to be just primed and ready to go come Sunday to do whatever it takes to destroy the Bills. So when I look at the games this weekend, to me, that is the topper. The Sunday night game is Baltimore at the Chargers. Uh Uh-uh, that is not it. The Monday night game, Chicago at Minnesota. And as we've seen here, the Vikings have gotten a lot of primetime love here, whether it was the Niners a few weeks ago, obviously last night in Denver, and then now a Monday night against the Bears. Uh Uh-uh, I will pass. Kansas City at Vegas, no thanks. Rams at Cardinals, definitely not. Jacksonville at Houston, that is your good 1 o'clock game. And again, it's not sexy when it comes to, let's say, Buffalo-Philly or even a game like tonight. Obviously, that's a five-star matchup between the Eagles and Chiefs. But Jacksonville and Houston is a low-key big game. If the Texans win, that means they sweep Jacksonville of the season series. And guess who will be in first place when it's all said and done? That's right, the Texans. So that is one to watch there in the 1 o'clock window. New England at the Giants, ooh, please avert your eyes. Tampa at Indianapolis, I don't think so. Carolina at Tennessee, ugh, maybe I'll start my Christmas shopping then. Pittsburgh at Cincinnati, not a great game, let's face it, because of the offenses and no Joe Burrow, but it's huge for the Steelers, as I talked about earlier. And New Orleans at Atlanta, ugh. I get it that the NFC South is atrocious, but that is a big game because either one of those teams look like they're going to be representative in the postseason. So I have to, uh, believe it or not, that's actually a game you're going to have to pay attention to. As bad and as tough for me to admit, because right now the Saints are currently 5-5 five and five and the Falcons are 4-6. and six. I know Tampa's 4-6 and six also, but it looks like it's going to be between those two teams. All right, maybe I have to throw in Tampa, but I would think New Orleans and Atlanta, when it's all said and done, may be the team that comes out of the NFC South. And I believe they play not only this coming weekend, but the last game of the season. And interestingly enough, New Orleans has to go to Tampa the next to last game of the season. So yeah, it's going to be a wild ride there in the NFC South, although they're probably going to be sacrificial lamb to the five seed in the NFC. But you got a race there in the NFC South, whether you like it or not. And New Orleans and Atlanta, again, going to meet up for the first time this year come Sunday. So again, that's a game we're going to have to keep in mind. And that is it for your schedule. That is it for the NFL. 
here as we conclude week 11 and look forward to Thanksgiving Day as well as the Thanksgiving weekend and Black Friday as well. Got to throw that in the mix too. So those are your games there for the NFL this week. As far as the college football goes, you had a tough break with the quarterback there, Jordan Travis, and it looks like you're not going to see him there for the remainder of the year. Him being the Florida State Seminole quarterback and they were ranked number four pretty much the whole year. And then you had Washington, the Huskies leapfrog them after their win against Oregon State, which turned out to be closer than it was. Road game in the rain, but they were able to prevail. And that shows the guts of a good college football team. And that's the reason why they were able to catapult themselves into the top four based on the coaches poll and the AP 25 or top 25. So now you're looking at Georgia, Ohio State, who now is number two over Michigan, and we'll talk about that matchup in a second, followed by Michigan number three, and then you have Washington number four, followed by Florida State, and Florida State could still get there because Washington could lose to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. So even though it's not out of the realm of possibility, knowing that right this very moment that Florida State is on the outside looking in, but it's not as if they're done, now granted, You do have to keep in mind that whomever the backup is, and I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head, is going to have to go in there and at least be that game manager to make sure that the Seminoles stay undefeated for them to have a shot to make it into the college football Final Four. But if they lose along the way, you can forget about it. And again, it's not as if they're playing stellar opponents here over the last week or so because now this is the end of the regular season upcoming and then you have your conference championship games. So Washington, who's had a phenomenal year, 11-0, have played well. Michael Penix Jr., you would think right this very moment may be the front runner for the Heisman Trophy, but it's still a tall order because they're going to have to face Oregon again when it's all said and done, and we understand that they beat Oregon earlier this year, but Oregon has been hot, and they have their own Heisman Trophy candidate in a one Bo Nix who just ran up the score against Arizona State, especially in that first half, and they are right behind Florida State, number six in the country. It is going to be an interesting couple of weeks here when it's all said and done. Now, I don't know. Washington, Oregon to me is a coin flip. I would think Oregon's going to want to get after them. And that's going to be fascinating because if Oregon does beat Washington and let's say Florida State loses and somehow, some way, Alabama, don't forget them. If they beat Georgia in an SEC championship, you're going to have the Alabama fan to say, What about us? We belong in the top four. You're going to have Oregon say, what about us? We belong in the top four if they beat Washington down the road. And then Ohio State and Michigan, they play each other this week. One of those two are going to cancel themselves out. And again, even if Georgia loses, they're going to have one loss with Alabama. And you can't knock out Georgia. They're the defending, two-time defending champs. You're going to have a battle royale if it happens to go that way. And then what do you do if you're the committee as to who do you take for the top four when it's all said and done? So you have to keep all that in mind. And even Texas, you want to throw them in the mix. Texas can say, wait a minute. Alabama has one loss, and who's that one loss against? Us. And we beat them in Tuscaloosa. So it is going to be fascinating how these next couple of weeks are going to unfold, especially with the conference championships, etc. As far as the schedule, and I'm just only going to talk about the teams that are going to be affected here by the playoff. You're going to have to start on Friday where you have... Texas hosting Texas Tech. All right, that should be a game. No problem there. You have Oregon State going to Oregon. 
which you would think would be a good game. Now, Oregon State, as I just mentioned, they lost that tough one against Washington. Who knows what they have left to see if they could try to upstart their in-state rivals. If the game was in Oregon State, I probably would have had a better chance for Oregon State to win this game. But as of right this second, I can't see it. And that game's on Fox, 8.30 there Friday night. So after the Dolphins and Jets, you could take a peek at that game. As far as Texas, that's at 7.30. So that's also will be after the NFL game as well. But Saturday, obviously, to kick us off there at 12 noon, Ohio State at Michigan. I can see Michigan winning this game. They've won this matchup the last two years. And even with Jim Harbaugh not on the sidelines, you would think that the Wolverines are going to prevail here. Now, it would be something if Ohio State were to go in there and beat them now that they're ranked number two in the nation. But we all know that splitting hairs. You could put Michigan there at number two as well. And Michigan had to fight and claw, although they weren't in danger of losing the game to Maryland the other day. But, right, when you look at the final score, it did look closer than what it was. But they actually had a shot, Maryland, to make a stop there on a fourth and one right around, I'd say, the Maryland 35. And they weren't able to do so that if they got the ball back, who knows, maybe they would have been able to pull a miracle to get a tie and push it into overtime. But that wasn't the case as Michigan prevailed there. But you have that game. I'm not going to go into Kentucky and Louisville, though Louisville's played very well here, but I'm not going to look at them. Again, just the teams that are affected here when it comes to the college football playoff. Alabama going to Auburn. We know that this has been a very tricky game for Alabama over the years. They kill Auburn in their building, but for them to make the trek to Auburn and to win that game, which is always this time of the year... I would think that Alabama is playing well enough and they're steamrolling to an SEC championship to face off against Georgia. Now, I would have to say this is the one year I'd be surprised that if Auburn does happen to beat them. Now, I get it. Auburn could be 0-10 at this point and they still have a shot. And they're currently 6-5. and Do I trust them to beat Alabama here in the spot this year? No, I do not. Stranger things have happened, but I think that the Alabama offense has been clicking. They've been playing well. They've been playing like Alabama. Granted that they don't have the plethora of NFL players of years past. Now, they do have a lot of NFL talent that's going to go. We understand that. And I'm not stupid or naive to think that that's not the case. But it's not as if you have a ton of guys that are going to be drafted in the first round like years past. But we would think that Alabama will go ahead and beat Auburn there on Saturday afternoon, I believe that's what, 3.30 on CBS. You also have Washington playing Washington State, Florida State going to Florida. Florida's showing you nothing here, but who knows? They have to go to the Swamp, and this would be their championship game for the Gators, so who knows? Anything could happen. Georgia is going to Georgia Tech, and that pretty much rounds it out for the teams that are going to be affected here for this college football playoff. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this is all going to unfold this week and recap it here next week. So definitely stay tuned as we'll get an up to the second recap of what's going to go on. And I am all for it as college football's getting into the teeth and into the final week of its regular season before we get set for the conference championships. All right, now I want to turn my attention to baseball. Yes, before I get to the NBA and NHL, which there really isn't much going on, if you ask me. But baseball, the hot stove, and how apropos, considering it is Thanksgiving week and everybody is preparing their meals, etc., for the big day on Thursday. Well, the MLB hot stove has all the burners cooking 
based on what has happened. And I understand that you've had some minor trades here and the Braves. Think about this. The Braves had a killer regular season. We know what happened in the postseason. And they have a MVP in tow and a one Ronald Acuna Jr. But here they are. As good as they've been, won a World Series two years ago, have been highly successful here over the last half decade, and they're wheeling and dealing as if they're a team that hasn't won a World Series in 20 years. And I have to give it up to them. Not only have they traded Kyle Wright and Nick Anderson to Kansas City of all places, because those guys are arbitration eligible, and Kyle Wright was a guy who won 21 games, not this past year, the year before, but was off injured and did not pitched throughout the remainder or the latter half of this year. And Nick Anderson, who was a reliever formerly of Tampa, so they decided to trade them to acquire a right-hander. And that's on top of them trading Mike Soroka, a guy who's been injured since the 2020 year, the pandemic year, and how he had blown out his Achilles and hasn't gotten himself all the way back yet from that injury or at least pitched with some consistency as he was also traded to the White Sox for reliever Aaron Bummer. And they traded a bunch of players, which made me think, what, Aaron Bummer is now Raleigh Fingers? But with that being said, you've had some trades here. You've had some deals made. The Mariners acquiring an infielder from the Red Sox. But the big one that happened over the weekend and one that's going to be forthcoming here tomorrow, which I'll get into in a second, the Phillies re-signed Aaron Nola, who has been there Throughout the course of his major league career, he signed a seven-year, $172 million deal, which to me, a little bit too rich for my blood, and I get it that that's the going rate in major league baseball when it comes to starting pitchers, and we know that Nola is a cut below being an ace, even though a lot of people will think that Nola can be an ace on a bunch of other teams, and right, that makes sense, but I'm sorry, for Nola to be... Let's face it, the second best pitcher on his team and Zach Wheeler who's going to go into his walk year as he signed a five-year, $118 million deal. And right, if you do the math, it will probably come close to making what Nola's making. But we know Wheeler has been a contender for a Cy Young where Nola hasn't. And he's 30 years of age, so he's going to pitch till he's 37. And yes, in this day and age, we have seen guys like Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander pitch well into their 40s, and even Bartolo Colon for that matter, but we understand that he's just a freak when it comes to him pitching into whatever it was, 42, 43, 44 years of age. But Nola, good pitcher. In fact, is a very good pitcher. But is he a great pitcher? Is he elite? Is he a top three National League pitcher in the sport? I don't think so. And again, I'm not hating that he got that money, but is he worth it? This guy, I don't think so. But kudos to him. He stays in Philly. There was a lot of talk about maybe him going elsewhere to maybe get more money. But I guess that is a hometown discount if you want to look at it. Maybe there were other teams that could have put forth $200 million in eight years or less money. Or I should say less years and more money. Who knows? But Nola stays home in Philadelphia. So kudos to him. And then tomorrow, the negotiations will start for one. And I'm going to butcher his first name. But we all know the Japanese pitcher Yamamoto. Let's start again because, again, I want to do this in one fell swoop. Yoshinobu Yamamoto. All right. Hopefully that's the only time I have to say that during this podcast. But we all know that a lot of teams are going to be lobbying for his services come next year. And we all know who the teams are. The Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers. Go on down the line as far as the big-time markets 
that are going to look for his services, as we all know, young, 25 years of age, unlike Kodai Senga, who I believe is 29, and Senga had a very good year for the Mets, was a finalist for Rookie of the Year, had a below 3 ERA, struck out over 200 batters. But when we look at his most recent stats, 16-6 and six with a one one ERA, 169 strikeouts and 164 innings, and a guy that has been on a lot of people's radar... So the negotiations will start tomorrow. Let's see who's going to be the highest bidder. And you would think it's going to be the Dodgers again, the two New York teams. Who knows if the Cubs get into the mix? Who knows if the Angels get into the mix, considering that Shohei Otani may not go back to Anaheim. And that's another guy that we know is going to fetch a big payday. Will the Braves even think about? Has been rumored maybe making a pitch for Otani when it's all said and done. That would be a shock because the Braves definitely don't go that route. They take care of their own players in-house as we've seen over the years. But the hot stove is really going to be on and popping here. You would think, at least for the next few days, not only with this negotiation, but any other players that are free agents that may be looking for the big payday. So you know my eyes are going to be peeled for anything that happens in baseball. So we'll definitely be attuned to that. And as far as the NBA and NHL... There isn't really much to get into, people. And I know that having this podcast twice a week, you're not going to have interesting storylines or something that's going to happen each and every day. And yes, you can have things pop up, whether it's injuries or maybe a disgruntled player or like we talked about last week with Draymond with the headlock on Rudy Gobert. When you got stuff like that, that's when I could really massage, sink my teeth into getting into those storylines to share with you guys and gals. But because that hasn't been the case here over the last few days, what am I going to do? Am I going to talk about the standings and what's going on there when it comes to the association? I mean, am I going to get into Cade Cunningham and his comments talking about we're bad as the Pistons are what, 2-12? and 12? Seriously? Could I talk about Bradley Beal who's going to be out for the next three weeks with a bad back and who knows how that's going to play into the Suns having a big year or not? Because the Suns currently are 7-6 and six and had the heroics of KD there against the Jazz in a double overtime over the weekend. Marcus Smart out 3-5 to five weeks and compound that with the Portland Trailblazers, Robert Williams having knee surgery and he's done for the year. Imagine if those guys were still Celtics. Brad Stevens would be reeling at the point trying to bring in reinforcements if that was the case. So the association again I'm not going to really uncover much here unless you want to talk about certain teams that have gone into some winning streaks and have played well and have been a surprise. One being the Orlando Magic who are 8-5 and five here in this early part of the season. I know the Bucks have turned their fortunes around. They were, what, 5-4? and four. Now they won four in a row. They're 9-4. Sacramento's played well. They've won six in a row. Oklahoma, if you want to talk about the top of the Western Conference, no, it's not Denver. No, it's not the Lakers. No, it's not... Dallas, it's Minnesota, OKC, and Denver are your top three teams right now in the Western Conference. And OKC's won five in a row, thanks to Chet Holmgren and what he did the other day. And Holmgren's trying to throw his hat in the ring for a big guy that talk all the talk being Victor Wembanyama. He was a guy that put forth a 36-10-5 as he became the first rookie to have that type of game, 35-10-5 since Luka four years ago. And the Thunder are riding high, and I picked them as an over this year. To me, 
barring any major injuries, that was a shoo-in considering that they were going to be a team that was trending. But besides that, to me, you got really nothing else. Suns have underachieved, as I mentioned. Clippers can't get out of their own way. Golden State has hit an abutment ever since that, even before the Draymond incident, who's been suspended five games, as we know. But even before that, they haven't played well. They're now 6-8. and eight. So there's been a flip-flop of the Western Conference where the teams that we expect to be at the top are at the bottom and vice versa. Like I mentioned, the Pistons are awful 2-12. and 12. Washington's 2-10. and 10. Memphis, Portland, and San Antonio all 3-10. and 10. You think Memphis misses John Morant right about now? So the association and nobody's really rallied around the in-season tournament. I'm sorry, that has definitely not been the case. So you could definitely put a pause on that for right now to see if there's going to be any juice going into December with that. So that's what you have in a small nutshell with the NBA and an even smaller nutshell is the NHL because other than a couple of newsworthy items, whether that means Jack Hughes who returned, remember he got slammed into the boards there a couple of weeks ago, suffered an upper body injury, did score a goal against the Rangers a couple of nights ago but lost. So I'm sure the Devil fan is excited to know that their big time superstar Jack Hughes is in the mix. Other than that, the Panthers looked like they were going to have Alexander Barkov out for an extended period of time with a knee-to-knee collision there with one of the Anaheim Mighty Duck players, but it looks like it's not as serious, and the Panthers, who have played well here after a bit of a slow start, and as I talked about before, that Stanley Cup hangover, but they've done well there in the Atlantic, so at least for Barkov, it looks like he may be day-to-day. And then you have the situation with Milan Lucic, the tough guy from Boston, leave of absence after a quote-unquote incident. It looks like it may be an alleged domestic violence situation, but who knows? So that could be damning there for Lucic, who won a cup there with the Bruins back in 2011 and was certainly welcomed with open arms upon his return after bouncing around to LA, Calgary, Edmonton, etc. And other than that, when we go through the standings and go through what else is going on in the NHL, It's pretty much been the same. Maple Leafs have played a little bit better here as they've won four in a row. I know the Flyers give it up for what they've done here. They got off to a slow start, but now they're also in a big-time winning streak. And the same for the Capitals, where Alexander Ovechkin, and of course I botched up his goal count the other day. I know he scored two goals there last week, which gets him a little bit closer to Wayne Gretzky. But he got his 827th goal the other night against the Columbus Blue Jackets, so obviously we're going to keep that on our radar. Not that he's going to get it this year, as we talked about, but 897 is Gretzky's number, and he's currently 60 goals, or let me get my math straight, J. Real, 70 goals, jeez, I thought math was one of my strong points, 70 goals behind Gretzky, which you know he's not going to get this year, so if he remains healthy and the indestructible force that he has been for almost two decades in the NHL, next year looks like it's going to be it for the grade eight. And then out in the West, it's pretty much been the same. I know Vegas has had a couple of losses here in the state of Pennsylvania. They lost to the Flyers there on Saturday, followed by a shutout in Pittsburgh yesterday. So for them, that is a big-time losing streak. But also Vancouver, who's played well and actually caught the Golden Knights there as early as Thursday. They've also taken a couple steps back, but are within striking distance, just three points at the top of the Pacific. Other than that, As far as teams that have gone the other way, the Wild haven't been as good as I thought they'd be. Obviously, they have the big-time goal scorer there in Kaprizov, but they have not played well. They've lost five in a row, and the Wild are certainly scuffling there in the Central. 
the Blackhawks, even with all the hype with Connor Bedard, and he has played well, but the Blackhawks have sunk down to the bottom where they were last year in the Central. San Jose won another game after them not winning a game in their first 11. They did win two. They did win another, but they're going to have a long season, and they're going to go past the Capitals' 867-5 record, that's for sure. And at first, it didn't look like that was going to be the case. Edmonton trying to get themselves together after having their coach dismissed. But they are still 5-10-1 and and certainly have not put together a run of any sorts there. And give it up for the Coyotes. They've actually played pretty well as they're above 500. We know they play in that small arena that seats 4,600 people. I believe that's the campus of Arizona State. So kudos to them and what they've done here as a lot of people thought that they may have improved, but who knows, without having a real home ice advantage. But give it up for them. And that's what I got, people with the NHL. As we continue to move along here, get to Thanksgiving and beyond, and that will conclude. Thank you so much for stopping by, as always, to be a part of this podcast, to contribute in your way by listening to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review, throw me a few stars, write a review. As you know, at the very top, I say that just to remind you guys that to increase the visibility, whatever you can put forth with a nice review, I would certainly appreciate it. And if you want to hit me up with a question, comment, or suggestion, you could do so at the following. My YouTube channel, at J Reels. And certainly stay tuned to that, as I'm not going to have a podcast this Thursday. So anything that happens in the world of sports, I got you covered. Just go to my YouTube channel and subscribe there. Hit the like button. Leave a comment, etc. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, X, Twitter, J Reels One, just a number, or the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA. It's like to say sports. I tell you, I can't go a day without watching. I can't go a day without following. I can't go even an hour without knowing what's on tap, what's happening. My fingers are on the pulse of it all. And I deliver it into this microphone through your earbud speakers or headphones with nothing but fire, passion, energy, fury with my thoughts, opinions, feelings, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. Once again, happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. Enjoy, be safe during your travels. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.